This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. This is week two in a series that we're calling Dealing with Difficult People. And uh, last week we began by dropping a bombshell and letting you know that you are someone's difficult person. So we're not going through this series thinking, oh yeah, so-and-so really needs this message. Or, or, you know, here's a list of difficult people in my life. No, you are probably the one that needs to hear this message. You are someone's difficult person. I am someone's difficult person. And I know that's hard for us to imagine because we see the best in ourselves. We know our heart. We know our pure motives. But you're going to have to trust me here. When some people see us, here's what they think. They think he talks too much or she's stuck up. They're arrogant, uh, selfish, opinionated, lazy. They are fill in the blank. So keep in mind that not everybody thinks you are as wonderful as you think you are. You get on someone's nerves and I do too. Now quickly, just uh, so you know, if you're a guest today, this series is a bit of a change of pace from what we normally do on a, on a Sunday morning But as we wind down our summer vacation season before life gets back into somewhat of a routine, I felt led to deal with this highly practical topic that literally touches every single one of us. Now, last week, we kicked off our series by talking about the very needy person, needy emotionally, needy financially, needy spiritually. Today... We're going to talk about a topic that once again includes all of us, the manipulator. Before we get into our lesson, let's review the memory verse that I gave you last week. And this verse is powering us through this entire series. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 14. And on the count of three, uh, let's all say it together and we'll just jump in with brothers and sisters and then end up with uh, the reference of first Thessalonians one, two, three. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Okay, as I did last week, let me establish some foundational concepts for our lesson today. First of all, I want to make sure that we're clear on the definition of manipulation, And this uh, definition may not be dictionary proof, uh, but I think it, it, it says it. Manipulation is using shrewd or devious methods to accomplish something. Let me say it again. Manipulation is using shrewd or devious methods to accomplish something. Secondly, I want to establish that many times manipulators are not even aware that they're manipulators. In fact, if you confront manipulators and, and say, you've got a problem with manipulation, and they'll say, I don't know what you're talking about. Because manipulation is generally very subtle. Most of us don't realize that we are manipulators. The third thing I want to establish is that manipulators are not always bad people. Now, we think that. That's our perception. But, but, but there are plenty of times when manipulators do truly have the person's best interest in mind. Uh, but they use pressure. They use shrewd and questionable and sometimes even underhanded methods to control them. 
An example of this would be what uh, many of us as parents succumb to when our kids were toddlers. Uh, Now, when babies are born, babies are the sweetest things ever. Uh, we, We love our babies around here. But then they turn two. You know, the terrible twos. And all of a sudden, you you begin to understand why some animals eat their young. Uh, But but what do we as parents many times resort to? Well, we try to get them to do something by telling them the opposite. You know, don't you dare pick up your toys. Or don't you dare eat your peas. Don't you dare come here. And of course, the goal is to get them to do the opposite. And... And we have their best interest in mind, but but whether or not you have realized it, those tactics are nothing more than manipulation. So having heard what manipulation is, here are two questions. How many of you know someone that you would identify as a manipulator? Would you please raise your hand? Just be honest here. And in fact, would you raise both hands here? I'm seeing if I can manipulate you. Um, The next question How many of you would admit to being manipulators? Raise your hand. It takes one to know one, remember? So I'm going to give you one more opportunity to be honest. How many of you will admit to being manipulators? Raise your hand. And the rest of you need Jesus. Now, you would think that when it comes to a church and, 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 and the pastors and the members that a church would be exempt of manipulators, but it's not. And, and I'll have to be honest, and, and this, is a, this is a dirty shame, but there are a lot of pastors that are manipulators. And some pastors use devious methods, questionable methods to accomplish something. And then from my perspective, as, as a pastor of this church, I've learned that you are very skilled at manipulation. That's right. And, and I'm going to let you in on a secret. Here is the way that, here's the way that many people in a church try to manipulate. Um, people will come to us as a staff or as a board and say, pastor, I've been hearing quite a few people complain about, and you can just kind of fill in the blank, maybe complain about the music or the temperature in the sanctuary or maybe the pastor's jokes. And, uh, you know, I, I told you I did get an unsigned note in the offering one time and said, I don't appreciate the pastor's jokes. And uh, I, we kind of figured out that it was my wife. Uh, but, but, but anyway, people come to us and, and say, we've heard quite a few people complain about fill in the blank. Well, I found that if you, if you really press the issue and say, okay, tell me how many. You don't have to give me names. Tell me how many. Most of the time they will back off of the phrase quite a few and you will find out maybe it was one other person, maybe a couple of others. And and, and the truth is that those two other people probably never thought about it much. They just kind of listen and that person that had the issue and and they they said, well, I kind of see what you're saying. And the instigator jumped on that and used that to support his claim that quite a few people were complaining about this matter. I remember one time, and this was several years ago, and it's nobody here right now, but um, we, we had someone lead a, a life group, and, and this person was kind of vocal against a particular aspect of the church, uh, which is fine. You are free to disagree and not looked upon as a bad person if you don't agree with everything around here. Uh, I don't agree with everything around this church. 
In fact, it's not healthy if we all agree on everything. And we can work together, even having different opinions. So we welcome different ideas here. And one of the characteristics of a false cult is you're not allowed to express your opinion. You're not allowed to disagree with the leadership. We don't feel that way here. You can disagree with us anytime you want and, of course, have the right to be wrong. Not really, but, but you can disagree. But listen, please don't sow dissension. Don't start a campaign. But we are okay with disagreements here because God created us differently. And sometimes I've learned from your ideas. You disagree with me and I've actually learned from your ideas. But anyways, that small group began. All of a sudden, you know, there's a flap here on the bulletin. And, uh, you know, there's a place for prayer requests. But anyway, what, what happened was we started getting several of unsigned bulletin flaps. And they were giving the position of this person leading this small group. We had never gotten that before. It was obvious there was some manipulation going on. And and what was interesting, as soon as that small group trimester ended, the complaint stopped. So all of that to say that that even as, as good, solid Christians, we all, yes, you too and me too, we have a bent towards trying to manipulate. Now, today we're going to talk about how to deal with those who try to manipulate and control. And, and you may ask, well, why are we dealing with this in church? I mean, aren't we supposed to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and not talking about manipulation? Well, here's the reason we're dealing with this. I want you to listen carefully because I want you to get this. The matter of manipulation has spiritual implications. First of all, for the manipulator, if, if a person has a deep need to control he will struggle with submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He will want to control things instead of letting Christ control him. But there are also spiritual implications as well for the one being manipulated because if someone is easily manipulated, they will have a tendency to be people pleasers and do what someone else wants them to do rather than doing what God wants them to do. So that's why we're dealing with this on a Sunday morning because manipulation has some deep spiritual implications. Now, manipulation is not a new problem. In fact, let me highlight three biblical cases of of manipulation. First of all, in Genesis chapter 25, you read about two brothers named Jacob and Esau. They were twins. Esau happened to be born first by just a few minutes. But that was enough to be considered to be the older brother which meant that he would be awarded the birthright. Now, I, I don't, you know, we have several sets of twins in this church. And I don't know if the older one got or will get more of the inheritance, but that's the way it was back then. And so when daddy died, Esau, as the eldest, would become the patriarch of the family, which means he would be given the majority of influence as well as the majority of the inheritance. Now, Jacob, the younger brother, by just a few minutes, carried a chip on his shoulder. Maybe because in his mind, as a twin, he felt he was just as old as his brother, and he was almost, and he felt he deserved equal what his brother would receive. Well, one day, the older brother, Esau, went hunting. There's something about hunting that makes us hungry. Esau came home starved. Jacob, the younger brother, happened to be cooking up some stew, and Esau came in, smelled that stew, and he says, what you got cooking, little brother? That smells awesome, and 
And Jacob said, I've got some amazing vegetable goat stew cooking over the open fire. Well, Esau said, you're such a good cook. I'm famished, about to die. Would you do your big brother a favor? And give me a bowl of your gourmet stew. And well, Jacob, in a very blatant act of manipulation, said, Esau, I'm sure you are hungry. I'm sure you've been walking a long distance today. And and yeah, there's plenty of stew for both of us. But let's make a deal. I'll give you a big bowl of my wonderful vegetable goat stew if you'll give me your birthright. In other words, he was saying, you give me the major share of the family estate. Let me become the patriarch, the major influencer. I'll be glad to give you a large bowl of stew. Well, Esau carelessly said, you know, what good is it for, for me to have more of the inheritance, more of the authority if I'm going to starve to death? That's what's going to happen. I'm hungry. And in his mind, he was probably thinking, this is not an official agreement. So he said, little brother, you got yourself a deal. Serve me up a big bowl of your stew. And, and of course, you can read the rest of this story on your own. And, and you know the rest of the story. But this was a classic case of manipulation. Another example of manipulation is the story of Delilah in the Old Testament. And, and Samson was, was a strong guy that caught 300 foxes. And, and I, I don't know, think of the logistics of this, right? How did he do that? 300 foxes, and, and, and he took their tails, tied, to get, tied them together in pairs, and then he took a torch and lit it and stuck it in the knot in their tails, and they ran wild through the fields of the enemy and burned up the crops. And of course, Samson was also the guy that killed a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. Now, Samson was a Nazarite, and we don't completely understand this today, but that meant that God had placed his hand upon him for a special purpose, and he was not supposed to cut his hair, because that's where his strength came from, and it should never be revealed to others. It was to be a secret. Well, the Philistines set out to find the secret of his strength, so they enlisted the help of a barber named Delilah. Actually, it was the girl that Samson had fallen in love with. And Delilah, over and over again, it was like, Hey, sweetheart, what's the secret of your strength? And every time he kind of changed the subject, laugh and tell her something besides the truth. And Delilah wouldn't give up. And, and she finally brought out the big gun used in manipulation. It's still used in manipulation today in Judges 16, 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you? When you won't confide in me. This is the third time you made a fool of me. You haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Can't you just hear her crying? And now, if you don't have a good sense of humor, you won't appreciate verse 16. I love verse 16. With such nagging. With such nagging. She prodded him day after day. And here's the phrase I love. Until he was tired to death. <laughs> tired to death. And actually the King James Version, I think, says it best. It says, she vexed his soul unto death. So if your wife or your husband nags, you just say, quit vexing my soul, babe. But she nagged and nagged. Samson, how can you say you love me yet not trust me with your secret? She nagged him and vexed his soul until he was tired to death. Classic manipulation. 
And Samson was finally like, man, I can't take this nagging anymore. Delilah, you're driving me nuts. Here's the secret of my strength. It's in my long hair. And then the third example of manipulation is found in Mark chapter 6. In the New Testament, King Herod was throwing a big birthday party for himself. And in front of all of his guests, he said to Herodias, I want to see you do a little dance. And she went out in front of everybody and did a dance. And her dance really pleased the crowd. And Herod, and Herod, who had probably had one too many drinks, said, Baby, that was so amazing. You can have anything you want up to half of my kingdom. And Herodias went up to her mom and said, Mom, what should I ask for? And her mom hated John the Baptist because John the Baptist had been calling her out on her sinfulness. At one time, she'd been married to Herod's brother. She had left him to become Herod's wife. And, and John the Baptist had been letting her know that was wrong. And, and so when Herodias said, Mom, what should I ask for? She didn't even have to think about it. She said, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Well, when the daughter went back to Herod to t- and, and told him that, King Herod was sorry because he really respected John the Baptist. But the Bible says he was too embarrassed to break his promise in front of all of his guests. Why is it that we sometimes get a little bit more bold in a group? Somebody is daring us to do something like climb a tree, something like that. We become more bold and... But Herod was too embarrassed to break his promise in front of all of his guests, so he sent an executioner to cut off John's head. And this is kind of crude. They brought it back to the king who put it on a platter, gave it to the girl, who then gave it to her mom. So we see manipulation in a very real and raw form. Now, as we bring this concept down to Cedar County and and, and Vernon County and We can't forget St. Clair County. Let's quickly look at three common tactics of manipulation. First is flattery. Sometimes it's the brown noser at work. Hey, boss, you're the best of the best. I've never worked with anyone as talented as you. And by the way, can I have next week off? Or this is very realistic. It's the politician who comes to church a few times before the election and brags on the church but never shows up again after the election. Or, and this is sad, as the pastor who visits a bunch of people before a pastoral vote and says, you know, I was thinking about you the other day. I realized you are one of my closest friends. Mm -hmm. Flattery is one of the most common forms of manipulation. But there's another form, common form, and that's a threat. You know, if you do this, I'll make sure that you regret it. Or kids sometimes say, I'm not coming to your birthday party. Nah, 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 nah. Or adults say, I I thought I could count on you. I thought we were tight. I guess we aren't, so don't ask me for any more favors. But then thirdly, we use guilt. You know, after all I've done for you, and you won't even do this for me, and you call yourself a Christian? You know, here at the church, uh, don't get any ideas, but we get a lot of calls for assistance. And... uh, You know, we believe that God has called us to help those who have fallen into misfortune and the needy. But on the other hand, we try to be wise with the money that God has entrusted to us. And so as pastors in this community, leaders, there's kind of a standard procedure. 
especially if it's someone that we don't know, somebody that's from out of town, maybe just passing through. When they call for assistance, we say, okay, the first thing you've got to do is go to the police department and get a background check and want to make sure that there are no outstanding warrants, that they're not running from the law or anything like that. And we've had some people, when we say that, man, they run out the door, basically, and they're gone. Uh, but anyway, I, I just kindly told the person, I said, this is standard procedure, and, and they blew up. And they said, I can't believe this. And you call yourself a Christian? You call this a Christian organization? Click. Or sometimes you hear people say, oh, I see how it is. You've gotten too big for me now, huh? Okay, just go on without me. And when you see me dead in the casket, you'll be sorry you treated me this way. And I've actually had that said to me here. And so people, many times, who are pretty decent people will grab the strings of your life, try to control you like a puppet. Well, what should we do? When we recognize that someone is trying to manipulate or control us, and as I did last week in our first lesson in the series, I, I want to suggest three different prayers that I think will help us come up with a proper response. Here's prayer number one. God, help me recognize when someone is trying to manipulate me. The, the truth is, many of us have been in manipulative relationships for so long, we don't recognize that we've become slaves to someone. And many times in homes and marriages, people have been in situations where they have been manipulated for so long and that they think that that is just the way it's supposed to be and nothing can ever change. And, and so sometimes if we're not careful and we don't realize that we're being manipulated, we become more concerned about pleasing people rather than pleasing God. There's an interesting story of control and manipulation in, in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus was opening his heart one day up to his disciples, and he was saying, you know what, things are about to get ugly here. Um, I'm going to be killed. Of course, his disciples, they, they, they couldn't understand that. And, and the outspoken one of the disciples, Peter, began to try to control the situation. And, and, uh, and Scripture says in verse 22, Matthew chapter 16, verse 22, it says, Peter took Jesus aside. Why did Peter take Jesus aside? Because manipulators often lose their power in groups. That's why people take us to one side and say, um, just between you and me. Anybody ever hear that? Or anybody ever say that? Just between you and me. And by the way, when someone says just between you and me, know a couple of things. It's rarely just between you and me. They generally say that to a bunch of people because you'll see them off taking someone else just between you and me. Secondly, when, when someone says just between you and me, you are many times getting ready to hear some juicy gossip. So don't be flattered that someone is telling you something just between you and me. But anyway, Jesus said, I'm about to be killed. And, and Peter took him aside. 
And basically said, just between you and me, Lord, uh, never, this shall never happen to you. In other words, I won't stand for it. I won't let you be killed. And now, as I said earlier, we know there are those who are selfish manipulators. Maybe a husband who uses power and threats to control his wife for his own selfish interest. Maybe the wife who withholds something from her husband. Maybe sex or anything else to manipulate him and control him. It may be the bully in the playground. Makes life miserable for smaller kids. Those types of manipulation are ugly. and But so often manipulation is from someone who loves us. And simply wants what they believe is best for us. And, and that's the way it was with, in the case of Peter. He was like, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I don't want you to die. But, but if you can just back up and take a look at the whole picture here, you see what was really happening is that Peter, even with his good intentions, he was trying to, listen, he was trying to stop Jesus from doing God's will, which was go to, go to the cross. And that's why we need to pray this, this prayer so we can recognize those times when someone who truly loves us may be interfering with what God has called us to do. And let me give you a couple of tips that happens when someone is maybe trying to manipulate or control. First thing, you feel guilty and find it hard to say no. You know, your desire to please them is so strong that saying no to you, no to them, makes you feel guilty because you feel like you're letting them down. Secondly, when others are trying to manipulate you, you often compromise your values to please them. You know, you may be dating a guy and he may be good in so many ways, but he's pressuring you. And he says, oh, but I love you. You're just so amazing. And, and you still say no. And he finally says, you know, if you won't, there are a hundred other women who will. So we need to pray that God would help us recognize when someone is trying to manipulate us. You know, the second prayer is, is this. God, empower me to keep in place the healthy boundaries I have set. Now, we don't need to be a rude jerk, but we need to let them know, here are my boundaries. And they need to be boundaries. They need to be standards that have been set in advance, not spur of the moment. You know, on our, on our client last week uh, in Colorado... I was trying to talk to the guys because even though these are 14ers, they're, they're, they're mountains that can kill you if you don't uh, you know, take some healthy steps to avoid some, some of the dangers. And one of the important things, whether you're climbing Mount Everest or whether you're climbing Mount La Plata, as we did near Leadville, is that you have a turnaround time. Because mountains typically create their own weather patterns, and so... Almost every day, not every day, but almost every day, you may have a thunderstorm that will come up around noon. And so you want to get up there and get down. And so we, we just, with 13 guys, we had different paces. And so uh, we had a couple of different days that they could actually summit. And we said, you're adults, just have the buddy system. Make sure you got, you're with somebody else. And uh, I'm not going to micromanage your time up here. But I said, you need to establish the turnaround time. And, and on La Plata, there is a huge square boulder that is kind of a landmark. And if you look on websites, you will see that boulder. But I said, here is the boulder. And you need to set a time, a turnaround time, that if you are up to this point, and it's this time, and it's late in the day, and you know you're going to be late getting up to the summit, you need to turn around, even though you don't want to. And I said, set that time in advance because if you do it on the mountain, your emotions will keep pu putting you up higher and higher and you lose the ability to think objectively. 
And, and so, you know, when it comes to our daily life, we need to have standards, boundaries set in advance. Don't wait for that moment and then think, okay, what am I going to do? How far should I go? What should I do? Set them in advance. So God, help me keep in place the boundaries I've set. It may be that when the kids are throwing a fit, you say, hey, guess what? You can keep on flopping on the floor like a dying fish, but you're not getting the candy. You don't need to give in at that moment. Or, or maybe you say to a friend, you can pout, you can hang up on me, you can bash me on Facebook. I will still love you. I will still be your friend, but you're not going to hold me hostage and manipulate me to do something that I don't believe is right. Well, after Peter said, no, Jesus, I'm not going to let you die. I love you. And what did Jesus say to Peter in verse 23? Get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. And, and the point here is that even good and godly people can be used by Satan to get in the way of God's will for our lives. David and Senya, I, I wonder how many parents have gotten in the way of their kids going into ministry, maybe becoming missionaries, and and uh, parents said, oh, oh, but honey, are, are, are you sure you want to do this? You know, it's so far from home, it's so dangerous, and, you know, we'll never get to know our, our, our grandkids, and and besides this, and this was, has been used on us before we went to the field, there's so much ministry to be done around here. When God calls us with firmness, we must stay the course. I read a story of a pastor that dealt with a case of manipulation. He was pastoring a church of about 100 people, and, and one of his good friends was teaching a doctrine that this pastor didn't feel was biblical. In In the ministry world, we... We call it name it and claim it theology, or the street phrase we use is blab it and grab it, or see it and be it. Um, in, in other words, if you have enough faith, you know, just believe and don't doubt and you'll get it. You know, just name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. And you may be in debt up to your uh, to ears, but if you have enough faith, uh, you just name it and claim it. Even though you're driving a jalopy, God will give you a Jaguar. But if you peel back the surface of this theology, you see there's nothing more than an effort to manipulate God. Kind of like I heard someone who said, well, I want my house to sell, so I'm going to pray for someone else's house to sell. And in so doing, God will cause my house to sell. God honors faith. But, but this pastor's friend was teaching in the area that God has to heal you. Just say it. Just name it. Just claim it. Just blab it. Just grab it. God has to do it. Well, the pastor told his friend, his close friend, said, your theology is not right, and, and you need to stop teaching this in this church. And his friend said, I won't. Well, the pastor had an idea, and he said, okay, here's the deal. We're going to test your theology. He said, you're bald, and you don't like that you're bald. So here's the deal. You pray hair on your head, just name it and claim it. And even if you just pray one single here in, I'll let you preach your theology next Sunday morning. A week later, he was just as bald as ever. And so the pastor said, time to stop. No more. His friend said, okay, if you make me stop, I'm going to split the church and take a bunch of people with me and start a new church. 
The pastor refused to be manipulated. He drew a line in the sand and said, if that's what you must do, do it. But you're not going to teach that false doctrine in this church. And, and sure enough, a very significant portion of this small and fragile church left. But he felt that God was pleased with him because he refused to be manipulated into allowing his word to be distorted. God said, I'll take care of you. Now, I want to be upfront with you. Sometimes stories don't always end happily ever after. You know, sometimes as Christians, we like to, well, and everybody lived happily ever after. It doesn't always work that way. But in this case, the group left. The church began to grow by leaps and bounds. But it wasn't on the foundation of a faulty doctrine. And I also remember back some years here at this church, and I was targeted by a group of individuals. This was several years ago, and, and their goal was for me to change my doctrine. Um, similar to the name it and claim it uh, doctrine, and they talked with me, they met with me, and they said, what we're doing is we're meeting together for prayer meetings, praying that you'll change your doctrine. Um, and I'll admit, it was kind of weird knowing that I was the target of prayer meetings, not because of sin in my life, but because... According to them, I had the wrong doctrine. But I refused to change and because I feel strongly supported by the doctrine that I teach. I feel strongly supported by the Bible. And subsequently, these people left the church. But I was at peace that I had done what I should do. So don't let anyone, your parents, your friends... Even good and godly people sidetrack you and misdirect you from God, what God really wants you to do. Here's the third prayer. God, help me see my own desire to control and surrender everything to you. You know, during this message, I realize it's easy to get zeroed in on those people, you know, the manipulators. But again, we've got to remember in one way or another, we are those people. We are the manipulators. Husbands, don't go to your wife and ask her, well, am, am I a controller and am I a manipulator? You are. You are. In case you didn't hear me say it, you are, husbands, you are manipulators. Wives, you're manipulators in your own way. You like to control and I'm no exception. I, I, I don't like this about myself, but I can tell you that it's in my nature to, to control. I mean, God loves you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. That's kind of my attitude. You know, it's true in my marriage. I want faith to do what I want. I want my children to do what I want them to do. I want this church to do what I want. We all like to control. In this church, people all the time want to control the music, the temperature, even the type of coffee. We like to control it. It's our nature. And, and don't misunderstand me. It's okay to have opinions. But, but if we don't conquer the control issue in our lives, then it's unlikely we will ever be able to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the issue right there. And we will always end up doing our thing rather than His thing. So as we wrap things up... Uh, this morning, two questions. What are some of the ways in which you find yourself being manipulated? 
And in so doing, you're more worried about pleasing someone else rather than God. And the second question for you is, in what areas do you need to quit trying to manipulate and release control? Maybe it's your family. And, and listen, instead of manipulating your family, why don't you start leading your family? For those of you who are employers, maybe it's at work and you've got your thumb on your employees and they resent it. Maybe you need to quit controlling your employees and start leading them. Maybe it's here at church, you don't like some things just like me. Maybe they need to be changed. And so you begin a process of following God's leadership to make that happen instead of underhanded methods. And of course, the ultimate area is to release control of your life to God. You know, I try to every Sunday, before every Sunday, I try to have a goal for the lesson. And it's not to entertain because I've discovered I'm a poor entertainer. It's not to motivate. I, I can't motivate at all. But my goal as I've prayed and prepared for today is... I would like for see I'd like to see us all release control to God that we would submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's so hard to do. But in our prayer time this morning as we wrap things up, could we just all together to say God, I'm a controller because you are. You are. I'm a controller, but I want to release control to you. And I want you to control my life, my desires, my actions, my attitudes, my reactions. Could we do that together? Would you bow your hands? Father, I just come to you this morning. I thank you for your word. Father, I pray that, first of all, we would quit trying to manipulate, using underhanded, shrewd ways to accomplish something. Lord, where there needs to be change, help us to, instead of manipulation, let us lead. Let us be leaders, ethical leaders, godly leaders. So, Lord, uh, I, I pray that... We would quit trying to manipulate and control things and try to touch everything so it works right and all of that, that we would just, uh, God, release control to you and be the leaders that you've called us to be. But then, Lord, I pray for those here that are being manipulated. And they're more concerned about pleasing people and rather than pleasing you, and I pray that they would just get a glimpse of the freedom that they can find whenever they quit trying to please people. They just have to please an audience of one, and that's you. Lord, I pray that even though we want to please people, that's natural. I want to please people, but God, we would have an equal passion or a greater passion to please you. And then, Lord, I, I just pray that ultimately we would submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ every area of our life 
our desires, Lord. I just pray that we would place them at the altar right now. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.